as you turn there, um, well, first of all, it will be the Lord's Supper this afternoon, so I, I will um, be quite brief and utilize this more as a meditation. will handle in a few minutes. But number two, it's uh, bearing in mind that drawing your attention to Revelation 14 verse 13 is in the light of the homegoing of our sister Nkonde Shivemba. Um, she's not the last person, well, she's the last person who has died, but we, we've had uh, two previous funerals about two years ago. Um, in July, so you know we we had a break of about a year and a half, and I don't know about you, but every time we have a funeral, I, I really sort of say to the Lord, Lord, give us some space to heal, give us some time, but I also say, I wonder who's next, because we we can't tell. This is a secret that the Lord has. You know, one would wish that um, death followed years. Then we'd sort of be looking at the, the, when we were born and say, okay, this is the next guy out. And therefore we can start preparing him for eternity. You see what I mean? But it's nothing like that. Uh, the youngest can be the one to die. The oldest can be the one to die, and so on. And as is the case on this occasion, I mean, two of our oldest church members have even stopped coming to church now because they are old. We, we have to take the Lord's Supper to them uh, in, in their homes. Uh, but they are continuing. Someone younger than them, probably even half their age, is the one who has instead gone to uh, eternity and her home going if you had spoken to her the day before she had before she collapsed that is she had absolutely no clue uh, she was feeling better uh, because the crisis that she was in a few weeks earlier was over with the blood transfusion that she had so she was she was better and the weekend before she was out at the SOS children's village doing the usual outreach work, enjoying fellowship as though all was well. Come Wednesday, she collapsed and uh, Sunday, round about this time, uh, she breathed her last. What it says to me, therefore, is that when this happens, it's, it becomes a good opportunity to, to think again about death and its implication. Because we will all die. It's a fact. And some of us sooner than others. That's also a fact. And yet there's such a thing as preparing for death. There's such a thing as preparing for death. It's not something that should always take us by surprise in terms of the fact that I, I didn't know 
We should be able to say, well, I wish I had a little more time to prepare even more than I have been able to prepare. The book of Revelation has a lot of pictures. And uh, among the many pictures that it has is um, uh, the, the, the scrolls that were being opened from about chapter 5 uh, going onwards after the Lord Jesus Christ got the scroll from uh, the Father. And then you've got the, the um, after the scrolls, rather the seals, you have the, um, the, the trumpets that are blowing, um, the seven trumpets. And really it is um, in the seventh trumpet, as things are opening up and opening up, that we find chapter 14. Then after that, you've got the seven bowls that are poured by, by different angels, and that takes you to the end of this letter. So where we are in chapter 14, it is where uh, the, the last of the vessels has been poured. And as you would anticipate, um, these are, are bringing out something of, of God's wrath that is against us. Uh, if I said bold, sorry, that was, again, a mistake. that's a trumpet. So let's quickly come to verse um, 13, which is not what I'm preaching on. I'm preaching on verse 14, but it gives us the background, uh, the context. And this is what it says. Verse 13, And I heard a voice so verse 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. That's the background. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So it's this call that we are really thinking about as we come to verse 13. What is that call about? It is a call that recognizes that Christians are in the midst of a suffering and persecuting world. And hence the phrase there, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. That Christians may, may truly stand strong in the midst of the suffering that they are going through. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And this is now the call itself. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. John was basically being told here that what you are about to hear, write it down. And the reason why he was to write it down was primarily because it was to be a means of encouragement to generations after generations 
after generations of believers. Later on, we find exactly the same thing in chapter 19. Chapter 19 and verse 9. Chapter 19 and verse 9. Again, notice it is bearing in mind death, resurrection, and the world to come. And the angel said to me, write this. Chapter 19, verse 9. Write this. And what is this? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, those who be welcomed into heaven, they are truly a blessed people. And then finally, chapter 21, chapter 21 and verse 5. Chapter 21 and verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What is it that is we are being drawn to before the words? Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What are these words? Well, the previous verses had also spoken about that future estate. It says, I begin from verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and there will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The point there is pretty obvious, isn't it? When he says, write this. It is simply, I want this to remain a means of encouragement for my people until the end comes. Put it down. It's not just for the present generation of believers, but it is also for those who are coming in the future. So back to our text, what is it told to write? Exactly what we read in chapter 19 and chapter 21, it is the blessedness of those who die in the Lord. The blessedness of those who die in the Lord. Let me take you back to what I said at the beginning. Here are believers undergoing intense persecution. Here are believers who've lost brothers and sisters, who've lost parents, not through some natural calamity, but through persecution. So they are being encouraged that those who have died in the Lord are blessed. We will all die, but those who die in the Lord are blessed from now on. This is a new era with the coming of Christ, there is a dying in such a way that we can say this person is blessed. Let's mourn for ourselves. Let's not mourn for this individual. Why? Well, two things. First of all, it is that they are resting from their labor. 
In other words, they were busy laboring for the Lord, but now they have retired. That's it. They can now go and enjoy the fruit of their labors. We'll come back to that in a moment. My interest is that last part, and that's the title of my sermon, The Deeds of the Saints Follow Them. For their deeds follow them. Their deeds follow them. That's, that's an awkward phrase. Their deeds follow them. It almost sounds as though deeds are human beings. It's normally human beings or animals that follow you. How do deeds follow? How? Well, it's obvious that what is meant by deeds following is really in terms of the fact that God has recorded those deeds and will now reward them. So there are two things that are happening when a believer like our sister Conde leaves the earth. It is, number one, the end of work, the end of labor. And number two, the beginning of rewards, enjoying the fruit of that work. So those are the two sides that are being brought together in our text. My interest is especially in the second part. Their deeds follow them. In other words, God takes note of their deeds, their works, what they were doing, and at that time rewards them. I want to answer the question, what deeds are these? And in answering it, I want to suggest three avenues in which we are to think of these deeds. Three avenues. The first are deeds of righteousness. Deeds of righteousness. Often, when Christians are persecuted, often it's because their lives irritate unbelievers. In the family context, it's the fact that you are not doing what everybody else is doing. And so, they want to find ways to make you regret living like that in the home because you are, as it were, exposing them. It's exactly the same way in the context of the workplace, where you work, or school. It is the fact that you're not participating in the things that they are doing, your life, which is different, is exposing them. It's their consciences speak to them about the fact that if a person can live like this, then God is real and I am in trouble. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 puts it this way. Matthew 5 and verse 11. Matthew 5 and verse 11. 
beginning with verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, notice, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, notice, falsely on my account. Falsely on my account. Why falsely? It's because you are living a righteous life, a godly life, and that life is exposing them. It's causing their consciences to trouble them. And that's the reason why they want you dead. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. Prior to his coming, the Pharisees were the epitome of righteousness. If you wanted to know how to live to please God, you looked at a Pharisee. That was, as far as you thought, it was righteousness walking on two feet. Then, bam, Jesus came on the scene. And because he was the real thing, the real deal, he exposed the false religion of the Pharisees. And guess what? They wanted him dead. He, he, he had never done anything wrong against them. Zero. He lived a blameless life. That he could even challenge the people to say, if any of you accuses me of wrong, let him speak. And nobody could. Nobody. The most they could do was to twist his words so that those words can start saying something that he otherwise wasn't saying. Just so that they could whip up popular opinion against him until finally they rushed him to the grave. Friends, that's exactly the way true Christianity is. If you are a true Christian, you will suffer. You will suffer from the world. And you will suffer primarily because you are keeping the commandments of God. Back to verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God. You will suffer for it. But what we are being told here is that your righteousness, God is taking note. While you are being opposed by wicked men and women, God is taking note. And you will be rewarded in heaven for the fact that you persevered in righteousness. That in the midst of all the ungodliness and wickedness and evil that surrounds you, whether it's at home or in the workplace, you still stood 
in obedience to God. That's the first category of deeds that will follow a Christian when he gets to heaven. It is simply deeds of righteousness. The second is deeds of mercy. Deeds of mercy. And that's because Christians are in a, a fallen world, and a fallen world is a world that suffers. It suffers primarily because God has decreed suffering upon this world all the way from the Garden of Eden. And those who are God's people, listen to me, are concerned about human suffering. They are. True Christians are moved by the fact that men and women are suffering and they do something about it. They do not look the other way. Especially when it comes to the suffering of God's people themselves. They have a, a, a special place that enables them to want to, as it were, reach out and reduce on, on human suffering. And so in uh, the famous uh, passage that we read earlier on, um, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we read these words in verse 7. Verse 7 is the first characteristic that Jesus gives upon a person being satisfied, upon a person being fulfilled, upon a person being uh, given God's righteousness. So verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What will they do upon being satisfied? The very first thing is this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the word mercy there has to do with sympathy, being moved by the suffering of others, being moved by the suffering of others. And not just being moved emotionally, but moved to do something about it. To do something about it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In chapter 25, Jesus particularly draws um, our attention to the rewarding of God's people in eternity. So these deeds, they followed them. They followed them. And look at what is happening there. They followed them. And Jesus puts it this way. I'm beginning to read from verse 31. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and you separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the gods. And you will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The point is that Jesus took note of their deeds. While they were doing all this, nobody else was noticing. But their lives were occupied with love and mercy. That's what took up their time. Their lives are not about me, myself, and I. It was about others, and especially the brothers and sisters in Christ. He took note. And when the time came, when they left this life into the next, Jesus says, You've not only rested from these labors, but your deeds will follow you in terms of their rewards will now come after you because I have taken note of what you did. And brethren, that's what God does when he converts a person. He, he makes us a loving people, a caring people, beyond our own kith and kin. In other words, beyond my own natural family. Because that one, even unbelievers can do. But he, he genuinely makes you a caring individual. And you, you want to pour your life into others, even if it costs you a lot. Deeds of mercy. And of course, we have the opposite. I don't have time to open that up. And it is those that were surprised. When did we see you in this state and we didn't do anything for you? And it basically says the same thing. When you hardened your heart against the obvious need of my brothers, Actually, you were hardening your heart against me. Thirdly, I'm calling them here deeds of warfare. Deeds of warfare. The difference is that in the Christian faith, we, in warfare, we don't kill, we give life. It's not like the natural warfare. In the natural warfare, they kill. In the Christian one, human beings are dead spiritually, and in warfare, we give them life. 
we give them life. And this is something that Jesus is also being mindful of. In uh, the book of Revelation, and chapter um, 2, chapter 2, we have those letters to the seven churches. Chapter 2, and uh, I begin from verse 13. Well, I will read verse 13 and then I'll skip to verse 26. Jesus says there, this is to the church in Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. And then he speaks about this individual, he says, even in the days of Antipas, and he calls him my faithful witness. My faithful witness. In other words, he was speaking about me. That's the only way he can be the Lord's witness. He's speaking about me and what I am doing in transforming lives, in providing the way of forgiveness. He was my faithful witness. And of course, uh, like all the others, who was killed among you. So the Lord hasn't forgotten. He's in glory, and he is saying, I have a witness who was killed, and I've taken note of the fact that he was my witness. Verse 26. Verse 26. This is now to the church in Thyatira. Verse 26. Jesus says, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a, a rod of iron, as when heathen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. It's interesting here that Jesus is not saying to the one who conquers and keeps my words. Not saying who keeps my words. Because then would be saying it's keeping his commandments. But he's saying who keeps my works. I hope that's what your Bible is saying. Because if it's saying words, feel free to use a ballpen and just correct it there. It's who keeps my works. In other words, there is work that I have in this world. There is a kingdom that I am building. And these individuals are individuals who conquer and have been faithful in keeping this work going. Keeping this work. And also the way he puts it, he says at the end of verse 27, as I myself have received authority from my father. Why was just given that authority? It was for the building of that same kingdom. That's why he was given authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. 
So this is now going beyond living a righteous life. It's going beyond responding to human suffering at a human level, physical suffering, let me put it that way. It is now going one step further and it is to say there is work the Lord Jesus wants us to do in building his kingdom to push back the domains of darkness and I should be participating actively in it. Chapter 3 and verse 8. Chapter 3 and verse 8. I know your works. There it is. Works. Works. Well, let's go on. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Friends, what is an open door? Let's, let's put it to the test. Is it living a righteous life, living a blameless life? That, that can't be an open door because you're just, you're just keeping a life away from sin. So that's definitely not an open door. Let's try the second one. Is it human suffering? Is that the open door? Well, no, because human suffering is there around us all the time. So that we don't need an open door. We don't need to be told that you are now living in a day of opportunity. The open door has to do with evangelistic opportunities. It is a situation where in other places such opportunities are missing. But for us, it is there. So you speak of an open door, for instance, if um, the uh, the leader of the United Arab Emirates says to you, okay, you can now put up a church building here, which is never allowed anyone else. You can say, wow, we have an open door, an opportunity that we never had before. Or, like it is in Zambia today, where you can go onto campuses, university campuses, and, and, and share the gospel freely without being chased. There are no laws that stop us from going to young adults to share the gospel with them. That's a door of opportunity that is given. Because in so many other parts of the world, to attempt that is to be immediately arrested and thrown into prison. So, there are seasons when the Lord opens doors which nobody can shut and he's saying, make use of it. Make use of it. Go in with spiritual um, armory and, 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 and give life to the dead. Those, that's what I mean by deeds of warfare. And in a sense, it makes sense because 
Christians, this is a borrowed term from John Piper, Christians are concerned for human suffering, especially eternal suffering. Especially eternal suffering. So, in a sense, deeds of mercy simply flow into evangelistic work. Because we know, they don't know, but we know that if they die as they are, they don't only suffer in this world, they suffer even more in the world to come. And that becomes the compassion chamber that turns us into evangelists, into individuals that want to work together with one another in order to reach the world. Two quick examples. One is Christ. In Jesus Christ, you can easily see these three. In Jesus. On the one hand, we saw that he lived a righteous life. And as a result, they wanted him dead. Number two, he lived a merciful life. He fed the hungry. He cleansed lepers. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He was a compassionate savior. But number three, he spoke about himself as the savior of the world. He went about preaching. On one occasion, when they came to try and collect him so that he could go back into the town in Mark chapter 1 to go and heal the sick, he said, no, 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 no. sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's go on to other towns. I need to preach there as well because that's why I came. There was this third element of deeds of warfare that need to be done. People need to be rescued from sin and hell through the gospel. Jesus was involved in all three. The second example is only appropriate because that's what, where I started, and that's our sister Conde. I don't know how many of you were listening when we were here to the testimonies that people were giving about her life. I don't know how many of you were here. Or if you were not, check it out on social media. Just type her name and then read what people commented. And you will see all of these three, one by one. All of them. All of them. So many people that she helped financially, quietly in the background. It's deeds of mercy. Deeds of mercy. And then as we heard, the weekend before she died, she jumped into a vehicle here and SOS Children's Village. That's where she was. Deeds of warfare. To give life to the dead. In other words, each one of us needs to bear in mind 
the brethren, we, this life will soon be over. It will be. I know when you are younger, that phrase sounds uh, like, you know, some people are just tired of living and they want to die. But life is short, I'm telling you. You blink once and you've crossed on the other side. Do, can we say that like our sister who was with us a week or two ago, that we will rest from our labors? Can we speak in those terms? That there are actual labors that we will rest from. Can we speak in terms of the fact that, Lord, I'm now coming to my, the deeds that will follow me, the rewards, I'm coming to my rewards. Can we speak in those terms? That from the time the Lord saved me, I, I did my best to live a life of righteousness a life of love and mercy and a life of, of kingdom labors. Deliberately so. Can we speak in those terms? Can we? passage that was read for us but the last verse was not read was 1 Corinthians 15 and with that I'll take my seat. 1 Corinthians 15 then verse 58. That's the last verse there. My brother ended with who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58 says, Therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and here it is always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding. You know what abounding means? It's full to overflowing in these deeds. Deeds of righteousness, deeds of mercy, and the deeds of kingdom building. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this is one of those areas where you start the moment you realize that you have been sinning the sin of omission. The sin of omission. That's when you start right there. Because to say I'll do it at the end it's a lost opportunity. Yes. A week before you die, you can win a soul. A week before you die. Yeah, it's possible. But the glory of being so much starting now, because you are investing little by little, day by day, you are investing the deeds that will follow you. You are investing day by day. I learned this lesson the hard way. One occasion, I, I went to uh, visit a place where 
KBC should have been putting some, some money uh, for me monthly towards my, my retirement. And I can't remember what happened on that occasion, but I went to say, okay, what's happening here? And they said to me, oh, yes, I remember now. It was to withdraw. Yes, it was to withdraw. So they said, well, you know, there was a period when uh, your church stopped putting in money. So if, this is the point, they said, if they had been putting money consistently, this is how much you would have received. So they gave me the figure. Then they said, but because they skipped all these years, this is how much you'll get. And so I said to the gentleman, ah, could you calculate how much they were supposed to put in? No problem. He gave me the figure. So I said, ah, so if we put in that money now, can I get this? He laughed at me. <laughs> he said, no, no, no. That period lost is lost forever. You can only now get this much. There's no way of reclaiming that lost period. There's no way. What a lesson it was to me. That it pays to just be putting in regularly. Just, just putting in regularly. Just putting in regularly. Putting in regularly. And then you get surprised at the end. Then to say, well, you know, I'm still young. You know, let me enjoy life first. And, you know, when I become an old grandfather or something, then I will save the Lord. Sorry. This is now at the very end that cannot multiply. So start now. Now, the moment you realize that, uh oh, I wasn't putting in, start putting in. The deeds of righteousness, the deeds of mercy, and the deeds of warfare, the deeds of kingdom building, start now. And when the day comes, when we meet here for your funeral, we'll be able to say, he or she has rested from his or her labors and their deeds have followed them. Amen.